0: A story, a really good book with a message can open the door to conversation with your child. Welcome to
1: the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money mamas. Hey, 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 I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan and mamas, today on the show, I'm joined by Maria Desmondi, founder of Cardinal Rule Press, a publishing company focused on diverse children's books that teach quality lessons. Maria's background is in early education, before she wrote her very first children's book and ultimately launched Cardinal Rule Press. She now runs the publishing company full-time and is a public speaker, inspiring and educating others in the book industry. Today, we are going to share Maria's story, her advice on making our kids voracious readers, and she'll throw in a few tips if you're interested in writing a children's book of your own. Before we get started, a quick reminder that you can find the complete show notes for this episode and download your free Design Your Passion Project workbook at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 121. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey, Maria, welcome to the Smart Money Mamas show. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to have you here because I have never before had an author of a book that my kids have on the podcast. And so we love The Jelly Donut Difference is like a really great book for especially with siblings that are close in age. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> talk about that. So tell us a little bit about how you got into children's book publishing.
0: Oh, I love it. Yes. So I actually was a teacher. I taught first and second grade for over a decade. I always grabbed children's literature to teach something that was relevant to the students in my classroom. So at the time... My students were dealing with having the courage to be themselves. I taught in a diverse community, and a lot of my students were um, American Indian, and they would have these delicious meals that were packed by their moms, and they were embarrassed to eat those meals in the lunchroom because maybe they looked different or maybe they smelled different. So I was really looking for books to read to them about, hey... This is pretty cool that you um, have this heritage and these traditions in your family. It's not something to be embarrassed about. I could not find books with real kids, and it drove me crazy. I'm a problem solver. I decided to write the book Spaghetti in a Hot Dog Bun. It was based loosely off of my own experiences because I really did eat spaghetti in a hot dog bun, along with other really weird concoctions, and I was teased for it. And how did that first
1: book launch go? I know it can be hard to publish a children's book. How did you go about it the first time?
0: Yeah. So the first time I worked with a local publisher and I was teaching full time at the, at the time when it came out. And then I started to see, which I love the name of your podcast, by the way, Smart Mommy M- Money Mamas. I started to see that the income I was bringing in from the book sales and the speaking engagements I was doing with that book was actually more than what I was making as a teacher I was really overwhelmed at the time. We were having our first child and I had to make a decision. So, I resigned from teaching right around when my second book was coming out, The Jelly uh The Juice Box Bully, and I decided to really give it a go with the books. And so I have 10 books now. I am no longer a teacher,
1: which is fantastic. And so, but that had to be a, a scary transition, right around having your first kid and leaving your job. How did you kind of make it through that period of time?
0: Yeah, leaving the stability was really hard. And I remember my dad said to me, but you went to college to be a teacher. I said, well, yes, but it's all part of my journey, but you have really good insurance. It's okay. I'm going to be <laughs> fine. Um, yeah. So it was scary, but I had someone who believed in me. And I think that's what really makes the difference. Dave, my husband said, you know what? Take the leap of faith. I know who you are. And if it's not working, you'll, you know, make a change. So he believed in me and it was scary, but we we did it. I don't know if I could do that now, like that, leaving that stability. I don't know, now 12 years into it, I, I just feel like I've changed as a, a mother now with three children and there's just so much more on the table. So do you have a favorite of your 10 books that you've published so far? I do. And it's actually The Potato Chip Champ. And the reason I love this story is because when I was growing up, I was always looking at the families on our street thinking they have so much more and just the grass is always greener. The book is about two little boys and one who has everything and the other who has very little in regards to materials and toys and things like that. But the little boy who doesn't have a lot, he has friends and he has a kind heart. And you learn in the story that that's what really matters As an adult, I've realized that, and I really want to teach children that, that you can be content with what you have, because what really matters is the friendships that you have, the relationships. If you have food on the table, that's great. But having the next Xbox 5.89, you know, that kind of stuff, in the end, that's not what matters.
1: All of your books have a lesson in them, right? Which is what I love, absolutely love. And so can you talk a little bit about how we can use books in our homes to... Teach kids lessons and to give them a wider worldview.
0: When I was a teacher before I had children, I knew the power of books. Then, when I became a parent, I realized oh, goodness, when you go to sit down with your child at the end of the night, you are tired. You are, but that story time is such a great way to get them to calm down. They're listening, they're intrigued. A story, a really good book with a message can open the door to conversation with your child. And one of the things that we do for those tired parents is we put some guided guiding questions in our books at the beginning on the copyright page. So questions you can ask before, during, and after reading. So when you are tired, you don't really have to think about it. But it can really open the door for a child who maybe has something going on at school that they haven't talked to you about. Or maybe they have some questions about the world and something that might be different that they don't understand. I think that books can just teach us so many wonderful things. And it's that indirect lesson that's important. We can tell our children time and time again, you have to be this kind of a person. You have to behave like this. You have to do this, this, and this. If they see it in a story and they see it in a character, they're more likely to connect and hear that message than if family members are to be constantly telling them how to live their
1: life. Bedtime is a great time for story time. But I know that some parents struggle with getting their kids to kind of sit still through books. I am very lucky in that my boys would sit and and read like 30 books in a row if I allowed them to. So (laughs) that's easy. But sometimes they're active. They're just not listening. How can we make it something that is part of their daily routine so they start to build that love of learning?
0: Okay, so your question actually has two parts to it. Number one, the daily routine. I'll tackle that first. There are so many different ways to put books into your daily routine. If you are a family that does a lot of driving, so maybe you're commuting to the daycare or you're commuting to soccer practice, put books in the car. That can be audiobooks, which are free from your local library. If you have a library card, you can get an app on your phone. I use Libby and Hoopla. I download a book and we listen in the car. You can also grab a basket of books, put it in the car, and so when you're going to and from, kids can look at those stories. Morning routines. Another one is for working families. I know at one point when we I was working a lot doing speaking presentations, we would, instead of like putting the television on early in the morning when the kids woke up, we would have a basket of books right in my bathroom when I was showering. And the little toddlers would just open up those books, gnaw on them, look at the pictures and making it a part of the morning routine. It doesn't always have to be the evening routine. Also, another really great way of making it part of your routine is with family. If you have family members who are out of town, Zoom and Google Meet, all of these wonderful programs that we have available and accessible to us now, have a family member read stories to your child via Zoom or some type of a video messaging. So that's the first part is making it part of a routine. The second part is the interest. So if your child's not interested in reading, how can you develop that love of reading? Honestly, for, for the mamas and the papas who are listening, that is so important. If you can get them to be a reader, the world is available to them because everything they do in school requires reading. You know, if they're taking a test, they have to read the questions. So how do you develop that love of reading? Well, it's the interest. So if your child is really interested in, for example, my son right now is really interested in dirt bikes and hockey, go to the library, make an effort to get books on dirt dirt bikes and hockey. One, you want to go to what they're interested in. And two, if they're learning to read, make sure some of the books are easy enough, whatever their reading level is, so that they can feel successful and they can read the book themselves. And then other books you can read to them. And I think the libraries right now have done a wonderful job with everything we've gone through in the last year. You can just go online, put books on hold. They can be accessible, you know, on the shelf for you. And some libraries are still putting them outside in a bag for you to pick up if you don't want to go inside. That's how I usually do books. Um, I do take my kids to browse at the library. But when life gets busy, we sit at the computer, we put a bunch of books on hold, and we just go pick them up. You mentioned
1: audiobooks, and something we've heard before is some parents, some people just in general think that audiobooks or graphic novels aren't the same as reading, right? And they would, they're like forcing a specific type of book on their kids. How are audiobooks and graphic novels still helping build literacy and, and reading skills?
0: Well, reading skills, and actually I said I wasn't a teacher, but I did pop back into the classroom for the last six weeks of the school year as a reading interventionist I'm definitely skilled in the area of teaching reading. So when we're teaching reading, it's vocabulary. And children are going to get vocabulary through an audiobook, absolutely. Actually, sometimes better than if they're reading it themselves. If they come upon a word that is unfamiliar to them, they may not understand how to pronounce the word if they're reading it themselves. But in an audiobook, they can hear that. Then fluency, too. So when they're listening to a book, they're going to hear how a fluent reader should sound. As well as enunciation. So they're gonna hear when you're um, reading someone who's asking a question. How does your voice change? Same with graphic novels. Graphic novels have vocabulary, they help children develop fluency. And I think with graphic novels, the conversation and the dialogue oftentimes. So I think it helps children become a really good reader because they have to know who's talking. I mean, there's definitely a skill in order to read a graphic novel. Who's talking? And then what voice am I going to have them have in my brain? They're asking a question. This is quotation marks. There's um, the ellipses. What what does that make my voice sound like? Until then. So there's so many different things they can get out of many different types of books. I love that you brought up
1: the enunciation with the audiobooks as well. I have a close friend who was unschooled in the negative way, not in the proper <laughs> way unschool should be done. And she talks about how there's still words that she's like, I've read them a thousand times, but sometimes people say them and I'm like, oh, that's how you say that. Because she's completely very much self-taught. And so having that resource of like just listening to other people use these words and, and use them in a sentence and in the pronunciation, that's amazing. So let's go back to your business for a second. So you left teaching very right before you lo- launched your second book. How did you get your books out into the world? How are you marketing and building this business?
0: There's a distributor. So that is how the books were in the bookstores. So now the book industry has changed so much that if you self-publish, you can also work with a distributor like Amazon and you can get your books into people's homes. I had worked with a distributor. However, the marketing piece is key. So for those of you who are like, oh, I want to write a book. That sounds like so much fun. Well, it's not just writing a book, but it's also getting... People to purchase the book. A lot of the marketing has been what I would call grassroots style. So I have thought of creative ways to get the messages out without spending a ton of money. For example, we'll do giveaways. And I will give you a great example. When we talk about marketing, one aspect of it is advertising. So you might spend X amount of dollars on Facebook ads or Instagram ads. Well, I simply put a Facebook post on my personal Facebook page and asked friends and families to share it. And this was several years ago when I was doing a contest. I said, hey, here's my book, Spaghetti and a Hot Dog Bun. This summer, we're going to have a contest where if you go on vacation, take a picture, take my book with you, take a picture of yourself in front of a special monument. And whoever ha- submits a picture and you have to post it on your own Facebook and tag us, Whoever submits a picture that is furthest furthest and distance from my PO box is going to win four tickets to Disney. People are like, oh my goodness, Disney, tickets to Disney. Well, it was gift cards just in case people didn't want to. I wasn't giving them tickets to fly there. I simply bought four tickets, the amount of money it would cost to, to enter Disney, and I bought a gift card. I had so many people enter the contest. We had pictures of my book in front of the Vatican in front of the Statue of Liberty, I mean, all over the place. And the winner was in front of the Opera House in Australia, in Sydney, Australia, and they were the winner of the contest. Now, what did this do? This organically shared an image of spaghetti and a hot dog bun to thousands and thousands of people on Facebook. That's where people had to to post it. And I mean, Chelsea, most people have like 300, 400 friends on Facebook. So naturally it was a big reach and it was a wonderful way of getting the image and the message of the book out there. So we really try. Um, and I, when I say we, now that I am running a publishing company and I'm publishing other people's books, we really try to think of organic ways that we can share the message. I'll give you another example. Right now we are partnering with local libraries. It is about a $200 fee for the library and our team, our interns, they take the images from our books and they create them into these stands, I guess you would say, kind of like when you drive by and you see a garage sale sign, there are these signs and it's a, it's called a walk and read. The local library, we ship them these stands, um, images of our books, and they can set it up in maybe a local park or in the library um, you know, parking lot area. And people can walk with their family and they can read our book. And we put QR codes so that the family members can scan the QR code and hear the author talk about their inspiration for the book. So the walk and read doesn't cost us any money. Our intern, it does take her time, but that's giving her experience because she's a graphic design student and it's getting our messages into many different families through reading.
1: That is such a creative idea. I love it. It's also getting families outside and moving
0: and walking together. I love that idea. How did you come up with that? Someone actually trademarked, I believe it's called Story Walk. So I did not come up with the idea of the Story Walk. We call it Walk and Read. But I came up with the idea to partner with libraries and to offer that as a service. So I know, so cool. And I think someone came up with it during the pandemic so that families could get outside and still read.
1: Touching on the pandemic you did some really cool things last year. You published another book that was for parents. Can you tell us a little bit about that book and what you did through the pandemic to help families? I feel like
0: this book was my fourth baby. I really do. <laughs> it, it took a long time to write. It's called Side Upbringing. And I really didn't want to write it, but my sister-in-law told me I had to. And uh, <laughs> I, guess I'm, I guess I'm one to uh, fall into peer pressure. But the thing is, is over the course of so many years of studying child development, being in the classroom, becoming a parent of three young children, being part of all these different groups of moms and dads who have helped support me on, on this journey of parenting, you learn so many things. Did I learn the right way to do things? I don't know. Is there really a right way? But I learned a lot of great hacks and tips with a focus of really teaching my children values that were important to my husband and I. What I call it is values-based parenting. We sat down and said, what's important to us? And and you can ask any of our children and they know exactly what's expected of them. It's Dismondi's have fun, they're kind, and they work hard. So those are the three values that currently we are really focused on in our family. My husband and I love to work. And so we have to remind ourselves also to have fun. So that's part of yeah. that. Um, and so I wrote a book that parents can really take month by month throughout the year, and it focuses on different values. You can decide what's important to you, or you can work through this book month by month and say, okay, in January, it's goal setting. How can I teach my kids about goals? Because it actually is a really important thing to instill into our children. And within that, I put these book lists in there so you can have books to support that theme each month. So if you're talking about goal setting, there's a list of books that you can get from the library, or you can go on YouTube and see if they're read on YouTube. There's activities that you can do that support that theme. There's things that you can, what I call like field trips. You can go out in the community and do things to show what goal setting looks like. I also have a lot of advice from different parents in the book. So it's not just myself giving advice, but there's also clips from different moms and dads about moments that they had in parenting and things that they learned. I just feel like it's kind of a manual for parents to help guide them through this this difficult but beautiful journey.
1: The book lists by topic and by value are amazing, but also just the points in that book of like the discussions we should be having with our kids too, right? Because I think we mentioned earlier that books are such a good jumping off point for these conversations and sometimes our kids are processing, thinking something that we would not associate with what we're reading, right? Because they're putting together all these puzzle pieces. And so just opening up the door to have these conversations with their kids. I really enjoyed it. But what was the experience publishing a book that was meant for adults and not for kids? Was it any different?
0: Yes, it took a very long time. <laughs> so writing the book, <laughs> um, I woke up at 5 a.m. every day for 60 days, and I wrote the book for about two to three hours every morning. That was kind of how I wrote the book. And I liked that part of it, like getting up. I liked that routine. But the editing process took forever because once I had the book edited myself with my editor, well, then the graphic designer had to lay the book out and there was more editing. So that process and you'll see the book is has a lot of visuals and images. And so it's not, you know, I wanted it to be visually enticing. And I didn't want you to look at it and be like, oh my goodness, I'm so tired. I have to read this book. I wanted you to be like, well, (laughs) I can just look at this today. And then I can look at that part tomorrow. It's kind of sectioned off. So there was a lot of editing involved and it took a very long time. When the book came out, we had this media blitz, which means, you know, I was doing TV interviews and bookstore events and for two weeks strong. And then boom, schools closed, pandemic 2020. So it didn't, it oh started gosh. off on the right foot and then it just, everything kind of stalled. How did you
1: pivot your marketing at that point when now everyone was home? Chelsea, you have great
0: questions. You, you are well prepared. <laughs> this is awesome. Well, I decided I was going to help parents. This book was meant to help parents and I was going to still continue to do that. I started a free school online. It was called Sunnyside Homeschool. I had 2,400 families sign up within that first week of the pandemic. Oh, my gosh. I basically broke the internet. Um, I had Zoom, and I had to you know, keep increasing my Zoom packages because so many kids were logging on. But by the end, I, I had, like on average, 120, 130 kids logging on. Every week, two times a week, I taught classes on messages that were in the book. My own children sat right beside me on the floor here and it just it it got me through the pandemic. It got them through it. The thing is is everything was so unknown. So I read books that focused on fear and change and you know, flexibility and all these things that our kids were going through. And so to me, it was just such a gift to be able to do that for families.
1: I want to pivot a second because you're bringing up the flexibility and fear and all these things. And there's so many kids as this episode are coming out that are going back to school for the first time. right? They were virtual all last year. And I don't know with your kids, but with our kids and some of our friends' kids, there's a lot of anxiety about what has happened and and germs and what it's going to be like to go back into a big social setting. So what advice do you have for parents on conversations we can have or activities we can do, books we can read to help our kids through this potentially a little bit scary transition?
0: There have been a lot of really good books that have come out around the pandemic, which I did not write one of them. But I will tell you, um, Diane Elber is a friend of mine, and she writes a series about, it's called The Spot Series. She wrote a really great book. I don't know the title off the top of my head, But if you go on Amazon and just look it up, you'll see the spot series. She talks about those fears in the book. But I think that the best thing to do would be to go to Pinterest and search books about, you know, pandemic books, picture books for kids. I mean, there are books about wearing a mask. There are books about how we had to say hi to people through windows. And I think that these books are beautiful to really show children that. But on top of that, I have something unique to suggest. I think that family movie night is a really great way to help kids to get back into the transition of school. And you're probably thinking, what? This summer, plan a night. And we always did Friday nights, and we sit down and we vote on a movie. So I, you know, my husband and I would pick the movie so we had some control over it. If you're not quite sure if the movie is a good one for your age level of children, go to Common Sense Media and you can read, you know, what happens in that movie and kind of preview the movie. Have your children vote on what the movie is going to be. Even your the mom and dad or, you know, mom and mom, dad and dad, whoever's in your family, grandparents, have them vote and the winner. So that's teaching them a skill right there that you're not always going to get your way, right? And that there's a process. <laughs> Sit down and watch the movie. And what we found is that movies bring up a lot of questions as well. So not only are you looking up book lists and you're getting books from the library this summer to read about these specific social skills, about flexibility and fear and anxiety and having those conversations before bed, but family movie night is a really great way to relax, to to be cozy on the couch together, to bond together, and then to have those conversations as well. So there's so many movies that center around similar topics and pause the movie and talk. So I think a big part of what we've been through is to remember that children want to feel safe and they want to feel like they have that stability. And I, I think that that family movie night, being able to get cozy and be together. I mean, one of the things that we did, we have neighbors who are like, oh, people are getting together again. Can we all do a barbecue on Friday night? And the kids and I would say, oh, it's family movie night. Can we try another night? Like, we made it a sacred thing last summer. It really did bring our family closer together. I think it created a really cozy space for us. I love that. Having those rituals and and
1: things that really just bring the family back together is great. Let's dive into your book a little bit because September is Fairness Month in your book. And you talk all about teaching kids about fairness, what are some conversations we can have with kids by age? So my kids are, are itty bitty. They're five and three. But I know you go up through elementary age. How can we start to talk to our kids about fairness? Because I also think this is just a great topic for back to school, right?
0: So if we're talking about fairness with, let's say, a toddler, a three-year-old, it's going to be very black and white you get this matchbox car, you get this matchbox car, like one and one, this is fair. Or you're going to have this for one minute and you're going to set a timer and then you get it for one minute. So it has to be super simple and something that they visually can see. But as the children get older, let's say school age, so you know five, six to nine-ish, this is where it gets a little bit tricky. There's a saying that you always want to ingrain. It's not always going to be equal, but it's going to be fair. And what that looks like is, okay, let's take my children right now. I have a 12 year old and I have a seven year old. The 12 year old gets to stay up later. The seven year old does not. That's the way it's going to be. It's going to be fair though. The reason it's going to be fair is because yes, seven year old, you're going to be going to bed a little bit earlier. And you're not going to maybe miss out on some of the things that the 12-year-old's going to do. But you also wake up earlier and you get alone time with mom and dad. So I try to really teach them that, gosh, it's not going to be exactly the same. So it's not going to be one matchbox car to one matchbox car. But at the end of the day, it's going to be equal because it's going to all equal out. I think that's what we need to teach them in school, too, because teachers, for example, teachers aren't always going to choose a child to be the line leader, So is it fair that one person gets to be the line leader? Yes, because it's going to be equal. You're all going to get your chance at some point. So I think using those words and teaching children what what fair and equal means is important, especially in school, because they've been home for a long time and they've had a lot of one-on-one with mom and dad or whoever's in the home. They've had a lot of time that they hadn't, didn't have to share if they don't have a lot of siblings at home. And so now going back into the classroom and having to remember that there's 20 plus kids, that they're going to have to raise their hand to be able to share their voice, or they're going to have to stand in a line to walk in the hallway. Our kids are going to have a big transition. So reminding them about fair and equal. And I think that also the voting for family movie night, or it can be family game night, Chelsea games teach so many skills, board games. So bring out the board games because that those board games are going to teach taking turns. What is fair? You're not always going to win and that's okay.
1: Yeah, my husband is a huge board game fan. He runs a, a business bringing people to board game shops and all these kind of things. And so we are heavily in the board game camp and, and we see like how even different different skills teaching our five-year-old that our three-year-old gets a little bit more help on his turn because he might not understand what's happening. What I'm curious is we talk about fairness with kids. I know a lot of your books are about having socially conscious kids and more diverse access. How do we teach fairness in the realm of equality and equity, right? So as we started to talk to our five-year-old a little bit more about that not everyone has money for toys, not everyone has uh, money for books or money for food. One of the things that comes up when he talks about that is, well, that's not fair. And it's not fair, right? And so how do we teach them when they start to ask questions about the world, when they see beyond school, beyond sibling relationships, the world is not always fair?
0: That's a tough question. And I think the answer is the world is not always fair. And I think that's the answer. And um, talking about what can we be grateful for and if there is someone out there in the world, I think really a big part of it, Chelsea, is getting our kids outside of their bubbles, like you said. We are doing a huge detriment to our children if we keep them inside of a bubble. We want to teach them about the world because the world is a beautiful place. I think Glennon Doyle Melton says it, um, she says, brutal, because it's a beautiful place, but it can also be brutal, right? Um, But it's like it goes with each other. And I think it's important for them to see that, yes, some people do not have the same rights as us. Some people in different countries do not have the same access to education. That's something I'm teaching my 12-year-old right now. We're reading "I Am Malala," and we're t- we're talking about that together. Like, yeah, women, you know, women and girls were not—they did not want them to go to school to get an education. How unfair is that? And then to teach them to be grateful for what we have, I'm kind of not sure what the question was now because I've kind kind of gone off on a tangent. But my point is, I think that in order to raise socially conscious children at a young age, we need to expose them to what is happening in the world in an age appropriate way. And I use books to do that. I use books to do that.
1: Now, you have a whole list of diversity books in the chapter for September, but do you have a couple favorite books, diversity-based books, or ways to just books to bring diversity into our kids' library?
0: I do. And actually, one of them is on my shelf. I'm turning around right now. So this is hard because I don't remember the title. So I'm going to pause real quick. All right. So when we're talking about some of my favorite diverse books, when I talk about diversity with my children, I want to be clear. I'm not just talking about race and skin color. When you think about diversity, especially in the year that we've had, I mean, there are so many different things to consider. We're talking about differences in abilities. One of the books I love, it's called Just Ask, Be Different, Be Brave, Be You. And it's by Sonia Sotomayor illustrated by Rafael Lopez. And what I love about this book is it talks about different disabilities that children have. As simple as allergies, my son uses an inhaler and it talks about why do children use an inhaler? Why are some children allergic to different foods like peanut butter and some children are not? That's diversity. And that's what our kids are seeing in schools. And then also talking about different things like Communication. So, American Sign Language. That's something that our company has been putting access on YouTube to our books. We're having them read in American Sign Language. Some children do not speak our language. Some people speak Spanish. Some people speak Italian, and some speak American Sign Language. That's another, you know, aspect of the the, the book. Just ask. Right now, um, we're recording this in June. And so I've gotten a lot of books from the library in regards to LGBTQ. And so we're we're talking about that with our children right now. There is a new book out. It's called, um, it's by Rob Saunders, and it's called Two Grooms on the Cake. And so that's one that we just read last night. And I thought that was really great because our neighbor, he is gay and we, love and respect him. And there have been a lot of questions from my kids about his relationships and his two best friends who are married. And so these are the things when we talk about diversity is it's it's not limited just to skin color. There's another one called Maddie's Fridge. And I don't remember the author off the top of my head, but that one talks about inequality as far as like socioeconomics. So the little girl in the story doesn't have food in her fridge. That's another thing that I don't know if kids always realize that. One of the things I like to do is I like to also show shorts. They're called shorts on YouTube. You just search shorts for kids and you talk about whatever the theme is. And um, there is one about food and it's a little boy. And I'll give you the link if you want to put it in the show notes. But there's a little boy and um, all the kids are opening up their lunch boxes and he opens his and there's nothing in it. He gets up to go get a drink of water because he you can tell he's hungry. And when he comes back, he goes to put his lunchbox away and he realizes something's in it. And he opens it and he sees grapes. And then he looks up and sees a little boy smiling, eating grapes. He sees cheese. He looks up and he sees a little girl eating cheese. And so when he had gone to get the water, people had filled his box. So theres I also like to read books, but show these shorts to my kids because that's another visual for them. Diversity is not
1: just about race. I think that that is a huge focus and a huge issue. But there's so many things, especially when we talk about people who are differently abled, even just different sizes, different, you know, different looks. It's important to talk about that. We were actually having a conversation recently with my five year old, where he was asking, how do you know what language people speak? And we were like, well, you have to talk to them to, to, to know like he wanted to know if you could just like, look and see what language people speak. And he's very curious when he hears people speaking different languages, which language that they're speaking. And so we talked about like, learning a little bit of different languages so you can start to identify what someone might be speaking. And so that people communicate differently, all those conversations are, are really around diversity and recognizing that everybody is different. I'll definitely look up those books.
0: Yeah. And Chelsea, you said something really important, curiosity. Curiosity is important and we do not want to crush that in our children. Once my son and I, I wrote, wrote about this in the book, but once my son and I went into an elevator And there was a man who was in a wheelchair and he was missing limbs. My son asked a question about, you know, why doesn't he have arms and legs? And I did not know how to respond. I was frozen in the moment and it was definitely not my best parenting moment. And then when he left the elevator, it all all of a sudden came to me. It's okay to be curious. It's okay to ask questions. And, you know, I just wish I could have gone back to that moment and done it differently, but my sister was with me and my sister said, you know, he's actually a motivational speaker and he has this video about his experience. So my son and I watched the video and we explored that together and talked about it. And we don't have to feel bad because this man took his disability and he's making a difference in the world. He can drive a car. I mean, it was, it was a great learning experience, but curiosity is okay for children. I think sometimes as a parent, you want to be like, shh, don't say that, don't say that. It's okay, and we expect them to be curious. And I think as
1: parents, too, it's exposing ourselves. I love that you brought up that video. It's making sure who we're following, I think, for parenting advice is diverse. We follow My husband and I follow some different people who are doing disability advocacy and racial advocacy in listening. And so something that, was, that came up recently for us was a very similar story was someone did a video, a man in a wheelchair did a video of showing a family that the kid asked why the person couldn't walk. And the mom said, Shh you're being rude. He kind of responded to that video and he said, I'd much rather you say nothing's wrong with him. He just moves differently than you and like start a conversation from that boy. And so like listening to the language from people who are different from us, because we're not always gonna know the right way to respond. And so I think just like listening to people that are different from ourselves is, is valuable as well. And so showing our kids these videos and letting them see as well that we have to listen to others and see what they most want as well. That's awesome.
0: That, I, I love the response to that. That's really great.
1: One last thing, which is if moms want to publish a book, right? We have moms in our audience that want to publish a children's book or want to publish a, an adult book. Where do they start?
0: They start by writing. And I think a lot of people say, oh, I've always had this idea. I've always had this idea. And I say, just do it. Get it out there. Do it. And then now in 2021, there are so many resources out there. Amazon does a great job of distributing books to individuals. So you can sign up with Amazon and you can self-publish on Amazon and make your book available in that way. Amazon prints the book. Amazon ships the book. It all happens at Amazon. And then there's other ways of doing it as well. You can look for, you know, printers on your own. You can look for publishers. There is a book, that I will give you a link to as well. It's called Children's and, Children's and Writers, Children's Writers and Illustrators Market. And it comes out every year. Okay, Children's and Writers, Illustrators Market. That book is golden. It is the, the book you need because it has all the steps of exactly what you need to do. And then it also gives you the resources. So it says here are all the publishers in the United States, this is what they're looking for. There's actually publishers looking for student writers. It has how you submit to them. And and so it's kind of like the, the Bible of the publishing world.
1: We'll definitely link to that and check that out. Maria, before we let you go, we have to have you try on our Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. The sorting hat is our version of the hot seat where we ask the magical hat to reveal something about you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Oh my goodness. What are you most excited for as we come out of the pandemic?
0: I am most excited for our family's new perspective and keeping that true to ourselves. We have slowed down a lot and I love the slowness and I'm excited to continue that slowness and to really stay true to what matters. I'm excited about that. As things get, get busy and I see... Everyone around me shuffling and going here there and you know we are no longer saying yes to things out of expectation like we don't what what's how would you say obligation it? Yeah, obligation we're no longer saying yes out of obligation thank you yep so I'm excited to kind of move into life going back to normal with that new perspective that's fantastic Maria where can people follow up with you and find your books? Yes, well, they can be found anywhere. You can go online, but I always recommend your local bookstore. That is a great way to keep those indie bookstores open. And then, how can you find me? I am a pretty active on Instagram. That's kind of my social media of choice under Maria Desmondi Books and Cardinal Rule Press. So, Maria Desmondi Books, you'll see like the hacks and the behind the scenes of parenting and I keep it real, so you know, I'm not going to show you all the like happy go lucky stuff. Yesterday I showed you yeah. we have two puppies and my puppy ate a bunch of my beautiful flowers outside and I show you the <laughs> real deal.
1: <laughs> awesome. We'll have links to all of that in the show notes, Mama Maria. Thank you so much for joining us. This was fantastic. Thank you so much. Mama's I loved getting to talk to Maria today and hear her experience building Cardinal Rule Press. Her story of launching her book and their big giveaway to spread the word about that book on social media? Oh, fantastic. Now, we didn't talk much about money today, but as someone who loves books and reading, I think giving our kids a love of reading can help them become more successful, more open-minded, and more creative, which can only help them succeed. Don't you agree? As always, I've wrapped up my top three takeaways from this conversation with Maria for you to bring into your own bookish life. First, Build reading around your kids' interests and your family's routine. Read books on Zoom calls with family members, in the car, or at the breakfast table. And don't forget, audio and graphic novels count. Let kids love books and stories in their own way instead of dictating what is and isn't reading. This will let them build a quality relationship with books that they can carry into adulthood. Many kids love to be read to far beyond the very early years before they can read themselves. Often their comprehension is ahead of their ability to read the written words. So keeping some family reading time, some audiobook time can really help develop that love of reading. Second, books can be a way to present our kids with a more well-rounded view of the world. Part of Maria's mission with Cardinal World Press has been publishing books that are diverse in all the ways. Letting kids see that not everyone has the same access and opportunities, that some kids move differently or speak differently, but that we are all people and should be treated with love and respect. Books give us a way to transport our kids into other cultures, lives, and worlds. Building that relationship with our kids early can make them more empathetic and much better global citizens. And finally, Third, if you want to write a book, do it. Just start. Now is the best time. Maria has built a whole publishing house for diverse children's books teaching kids valuable lessons, but she started on her own with her first book. If you have an idea, start developing the story. Ask for help in writers' groups and read about the publication process. Today, with self-publishing stronger than ever, you have options. You've got this. And I guess you'll have to get on me to start working on my money book for kiddos. Mamas, I want to thank Maria again for coming on the show. For links to Cardinal Road Press, Maria's publishing site, or any of her books, head to the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 121. We'll also have links to our favorite money books for all ages. Keep talking money, Mamas. I'll see you next time.